Maureen Brunsdale, today's guest, is a special collections librarian for the Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. Librarians often are the invisible lattice connecting each of us with the old stories. Maureen Brunsdale will discuss with us the history of trapeze. And I think we will also have a segue into some interesting history of the former president, Abraham Lincoln. Maureen, welcome to the show. I oversee four wonderful collections, none more unique or special than the Circus and Allied Arts Collection. It is here that I have come to know so many circus performers, the wonderful, rich history of this cultural phenomenon known as circus, and along the way published a book with my colleague Mark Schmidt about Bloomington Normal Circus Legacy, the Golden Age of Aerialists. And I'm writing a second book on our arguably our most famous circus alum, Arthur M. Cancello. I had no background or training in circus arts before I came up to Special Collections, but walking into the vault, which is just a big room where our treasures are stored, it didn't take long to realize that trapeze was it. We have fly bars in our vault. We have books on horses and circus. You know, you can't unlink the two. I'm often asked what our oldest book in the collection is, in the Circus Snellet Arts Collection, and the oldest book is dated 1521, and it's How to Train Your Horse to Please the Public. When you think of a circus, you think of rings, right? It's a one-ring show or it's a three-ring circus. Sometimes it was a five-ring circus. Those rings typically are 42 feet in diameter, which is the smallest diameter a horse can perform in. So horses and circuses, there is that wonderful link. We have a lot of photos of aerialists. Just It doesn't take a rock scientist to figure out that trapeze is huge. So we have uh, documents, but we also have props. We have an incredible wardrobe collection, for example. We have fly bars. We have a catch trap. We have diagrams on how to rig materials. So it's it's a little bit of everything in special collections. Sounds like it would take up uh, a good-sized room. It does. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. We have over 8,000 books, probably over a million items about circus in our collection total. So it's it's a big footprint. It's our, our most used collection, our most frequently visited. It brings us the most traffic. Yesterday, we welcomed a couple of Walendas to our vault. I gave them a tour and showed them their family's history. Was that their first visit? It was their first visit. I hope it's not going to be their last visit. Perks of my job is being able to, to link people to their proud heritage. If I were to come strolling in there with Dumbo the elephant, wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> I think you'd have a hard time getting them up to the top four of the library, but it would be fantastic, yes. Tell me a little bit about the universe. Sure. The university, Illinois State University, has roughly 20,000 students on its campus. 18,000 or so are undergraduate students. Our largest colleges are education, business, and nursing as well. The community itself, Bloomington Normal, Twin Cities. Bloomington is the older city, and Normal is just to the north of it. And that's where Illinois State Normal University was founded in 1857 by a guy I like to call the most overlooked man in American history. His name was Jesse Fell. Many of you might be wondering who Jesse Fell is and why I would give him such a moniker. Well, Jesse Fell convinced a young attorney by the name of Abraham Lincoln to run for president. So as I like to tell our students here, where would we be without Jesse Fell? We wouldn't be at Illinois State University, and we might not be in these United States of America. Tell us a little bit more about Jesse Fell, and how do you spell his name? Just like it sounds, F-E-L-L. 
Jesse, J-E-S-S-E. Jesse Fell was a gentleman farmer first from Pennsylvania who worked his way west and assembled pretty good land holdings along the way from his native Pennsylvania all the way out to San Bernardino, California. He was an attorney by trade. He was a Quaker, but he did serve in the Civil War as a paymaster for the Union Army. If you were to Google Jesse Fell, you would find that his papers reside largely at the Library of Congress because he was an incredible influence in our country. But ISU and Special Collections host a number of things that are unique. We have his record books, and then we have his paymaster records. And they suggested that Mr. Fell prompted Mr. Lincoln's interest to move forward into the political campaign. That's very remarkable. And it's Hard to understand and what it was that actually put enough spin on Abraham Lincoln's future. It's just very, very interesting. It, it is interesting. Um, maybe your listeners might recall the autobiography, if you will, that Lincoln wrote, a two-page, two-page review of his life, right? Most humble, most down-to-earth autobiography of someone like Lincoln that you can imagine. But that autobiography was written for Jesse Fell because Jesse Fell said to him, you've got to introduce yourself to the voters. He encouraged him to write that autobiography, and that autobiography was found in Jesse Fell's attic. One of the descendants of Jesse Fell's actually turned it over to the Library of Congress. So that's how, how the, the world got to see the original handwritten autobiography of Abraham Lincoln. Please tell us a little bit about how it continues. Well, you'll see the trapeze in circuses that are still performing. Uh, Cirque du Soleil, of course, also has trapeze elements in some of its shows. Probably for those who are most aware of the flying trapeze, the biggest trick that people can do on it today is the quadruple somersault. Now, when you uh, were a child, Pat, it was the triple somersault. That was the big deal. And now today it's the quadruple somersault, only having been accomplished by a handful of people. So trapeze is, is still very much around. You see it a lot in trapeze schools that have been popping up around the country in the last 40 years. From L.A. to Chicago to St. Louis to New York, there are these institutes that teach trapeze. And it's really a skill that is that helps embolden people to try new things, right? It's, it takes a lot of courage to, to climb up a rope ladder 30 to 40 feet and take that first swing off the pedestal board with a bar in your hands and a net beneath you, and you hope that that net will catch you, of course. But trapeze is still still very much out there. The aerial arts are still very much out there, even though people may not recognize or see the greatest show on earth, which is, of course, Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus. Okay, so that's the trapeze, its story, current story. How did the trapeze ever intersect with the quiet city of Bloomington, Illinois? So glad you asked that question. It goes back to our, our most overlooked man, Jesse Fell. Jesse Fell had a nephew who only went by his first two initials. His initials were I and P, I.P. Fell, or for short, I Fell. He opened the very first gymnasium here in Bloomington, early 1870s. It was a dedicated space specifically for a gymnasium. He opened this gymnasium and, and installed in it something called the trapeze. Now, trapeze had been around as an exercise apparatus for decades, but no one until Jules Leotard, 
you'll recognize the last name as, as a piece of clothing that people wear still to this day, a leotard. Jules invented, quote-unquote, invented flying trapeze over in Paris in the 1850s as a circus apparatus, something that you could entertain people. People could watch it and be entertained by it. The leap from Europe to America happened pretty quickly, so that by 1870, I.P. Feld installed one in his gym, a couple of young boys from the community by the name of Green, they joined the gymnasium. And every spring, this gymnasium would have an exhibition of talent. And the local newspaper wrote a review of what they saw at this gymnasium and said that the Green brothers, who were teenagers at the time, were every bit as good as professionals trooping under the white tops. And of course, the, by that, they meant circus, circus people under canvas. So you'd see the pommel horse, you'd see students on rings, you'd see students on the trapeze, and it was open to the public. And that's how the newspaper reporter saw the exhibition and reported that these Green Brothers were every bit as good as circus troopers. And, and some teenage boys, that's all they need to hear to take off and start trooping, start earning money. And that's certainly the case with the Green Brothers. They went out, they started trooping, they came back at the end of the season, the season lasts from April to October, and then October to April, they're back home. And they came back to Bloomington and f created the, the Flying LeVans. The LeVans is an act that lasted around 50 years, which is incredible. They had a lot of different uh, performers who performed as part of that act and just kept happening. People kept coming back to Bloomington. There were wonderful barns in this town. There were the, the YMCA was in town. It had rigging permanently installed in it when it opened in 1909. And these kids who, who were daredevils, who were willing to take the risk of climbing that rope ladder and taking that first swing. Bloomington being halfway between Chicago and St. Louis, the cost of living here was less than those major metropolitan cities, yet we had rail service. So if you had a winter date, you could get to it pretty easily and, you know, make your money on those spot dates if you could. From the humble beginnings in the 1870s, it kept growing and growing. By 1915, there was a barn that was built specifically for the purpose of training aerialists that together with the YMCA talent was produced and then booked through the various circuses in the country, the American Circus Corporation of Peru, Indiana, and the Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus, of course, as well. And then in the 1950s, when circus operations were more centralized in Florida, our library director here at, at ISU realized that we were losing those those aerialists were leaving central Illinois for the warmer weather of Florida. And as someone who grew up in North Dakota, I don't quite get it, but okay, they did. And she thought, you know, we need to document our rich circus heritage. So she went to performers who retired here in this community and said, let me help me help create something that honors this cultural phenomenon known as circus. So they worked with her. They donated their scrapbooks, their posters, their contracts, and they were actually the seed for what became the Circus and Allied Arts Collection. That happened in the mid-1950s, and it continues through today. And I think you said that members of the Levon family were recently guests. Oh, Walenda. You've heard of perhaps Nick Walenda or the Flying Walendas. Yesterday we hosted Wirewalker. Is the Walendas are most known for wirewalking, and we had hosted Lyric Walenda and her husband and their son. Are they the kind of performers we see on the extreme walking across like the Grand Canyon? 
That was her cousin, Nick Walenda. Yeah, he's he's walked across the Grand Canyon. He's walked across Niagara Falls. He started his own circus now in New York City, known as Big Apple Circus, or that what used to be Big Apple Circus. He premiered that circus here on Veterans Day, and um, the Walenda family. She's seventh generation, and her four-year-old son is the eighth generation of Walenda performers. So the Lawenda family, does it have any connection with the activities of people being trained? No, actually not. Their link to this community comes from our correspondence collection. We have over 17,000 letters written between, a you could call him a super fan of the day. He was a gentleman that was actually born and raised in my little hometown of Mayville, North Dakota, but spent most of his life in Madison, Wisconsin. And he wrote anyone and everyone connected to circuses from the early 1930s till he passed away in 1974. He kept carbon copies of all the letters he sent, and then he kept also the letters that he received. And the Walendas letter is is one entire box of letters and it's it's incredibly rich source information for that particular fam so that's uh, maybe educational videos have been generated from your work from the artifact yeah we in the world of trapeze phil wayland had a film and tom moore had another film Tom Moore's film focuses on the Gaona family, and Phil Whalen's film, The Last Great Circus Flyer is the name of his film, focuses on Miguel and Juan Vasquez. Both the Gaonas and the Vasquez were families that were trying to successfully catch the first quadruple somersault. It was Miguel and his brother Juan who actually did it in performance first. In Bloomington, things are beginning, and there's an explosion of people nationally that get involved as performers. The number of circuses, it's hard for us today because we can only think of what maybe the typical person can only think of maybe one or two circus titles. But back in the golden era of circus, probably hundreds of different shows that were touring the country, only a few that were touring on rail, but a lot of others that were touring on trucks. And of course, before that, it was wagons and horses. The number of acts that you could see on a circus, maybe a small show traveled with 20 performers, but those 20 performers, some of them were used in maybe four different acts. So yeah, you would see a lot of performers showcasing their talent with different acts or act names on a show. Yeah, well, you know, I think everyone's everyone's goal is year-long employment, right? So that's that's the same in circus. As I mentioned earlier, most circus performers for the 1950s, certainly before the 1960s, were trooping under canvas. And that season only lasted from April through October. So what were you going to do from October to April? Well, if you were a center ring star, so you have three rings and you were you were a center ring star, then you would probably be able to find work overseas in Europe or even Russia, Australia, performing where they had circuses and buildings. America didn't have circus and buildings until the 1960s, really. It was always under canvas. But again, if you were a, a star of centering talent, it's like making it on Broadway, you could go and perform in the wintertime. I think the stars of the greatest shows or the world's greatest show, the circuses, of the day often were international talent. The owners of those shows went to Europe frequently to scout for talent and brought them to the United States because the United States was hungry for the best. They want to see the best. We always want to see the best. And sometimes the best wire walker, for example, is going to be Harold Alzana. 
perhaps he's not from America. Eddie and Jenny Ward, they were a brother and sister act, and they transitioned from being a double trapeze act, where one trapeze is over the other, sharing the same vertical ropes. They transitioned from double trapeze to a flying return act. So when you think of trapeze, someone, a performer leaving the pedestal board, doing a trick after catching a bar and being caught by the catcher and returning back to that bar, then back to the pedestal board. They were the ones, for example, who built the barn here in town, and that barn produced incredible talent that was booked worldwide. So they had a crazy amount of influence in their day. They started performing with Ringling in 1903, and Flying Wards were with it. Various members were with circuses through the 1960s. So they definitely had an impact. The other power couple, I'm going to say, is Art and Antoinette Cancello. As I mentioned, Antoinette was the first woman credited with turning the triple somersault, which was known as the killer trick because it killed so many people. She was the first set out to do the triple because men were doing it and people kept saying to her that it was too dangerous a stunt for any woman to do. And she was like, Psh, heck, if any guy can do it, I can do it. She was. She certainly had pluck and shaped the careers of so many people because she was the aerial director for Ringling Barnum up through 1984. Her husband, Art Cancello, he was one of the few that could do the killer triple somersault. He stopped flying, though, at the height of his career in 1942. He stopped flying to transition into management and show ownership, which is like top billing movie star today. He's going to quit acting and own a, a production studio. It's just never heard of in the world of circus, and yet Arkansas did that and ended his career as as one of the executive managers for Ringling Brothers Barnum Billy Circus. He, in fact, was on the team that took the first American circus to, to Soviet Russia, so his impact was huge as well. Of those two families, no, there are, there are, and I have met some amazing descendants of the wards, just some incredible, incredible people. For the Cancellos, they only had one child, and that son died after Art, his father, died. Randy was his name. Randy did have children. I've never had the fortune of meeting them, but they are not here uh, locally. The wards aren't, are not here in Bloomington Normal either, but I have met a number of them who have visited here. And I've met them in Sarasota as well. So they're, you know, circus, regardless of who you are, it's like one big family. And uh, that's, that's part of its allure and charm, I think, as well. Circuses that are well-known in recent years are the Ringling Brothers. In that name, it's the Ringling Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus. And that's because the Ringling Brothers in 1907 uh, purchased Barnum & Bailey. That would be like... Coke purchasing Pepsi and not telling the public about it. So they, they did that. They purchased it in 1907, and they ran the two shows as separate entities, knowing the public would pay to see both. And then they joined them in 1919 after the Great War, and they came out as Ringling Brothers Barnum Billy Circus. Maureen, you are the most welcome and interesting guest. I thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Pat. It's been a pleasure um, talking with you, and I hope your listeners uh, enjoy the show. Pat, and as I say in circus, they never say goodbye. They say, see you down the road. (laughs) 